Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. Today is a special day. It is the Feast of Sukkoth. And as it reads in Deuteronomy 16 to 13, you shall observe the Feast of Sukkoth seven days after that you have gathered in your threshing flowing wine. So join us as we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacle as Pastor Washington will give us some discord on the Feast of Tabernacle. Pastor. Okay, what we go? Uh, thank you very much, boys. Uh, what we want to do here on the eve of the Feast of Tabernacles, some people call it the Feast of Sukkot, and some people call it the Feast of Chukos with a C. It all depends on what type of Hebrew they're getting it from. And some people call it the Feast of Booze. Uh, but whatever those names are coming from various backgrounds, that's what we want to deal with. And we'll call ours the Feast of Tabernacle, which takes in all of the words that we've articulated. And just before we get started and you have your Bibles, uh, we want to have a word of prayer. Eternal Father, as you have given to ancient Israel and our forefathers this particular feast, O Heavenly Father, and many historians, O Heavenly Father, and scholars have search out this, this feast, and they feel that the Feast of Tabernacles were the feast that the pilgrims and the separatists, when they came over to America, they were not keeping a Thanksgiving, but they were actually keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. So as we study it, help us to make it a part of our lives, that we can be in harmony with your wishes to get your blessings as we move toward the eternal kingdom. We ask these blessings upon me, upon our host, and upon our listeners, that they may be benefited, and that we may have a heavenly sitting with thee. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, so what, what I'm going to do a little reading uh, first, and then we'll get into our topic. And if you have your Bibles, we want to turn into the book of Leviticus. Okay, in the book of Leviticus. And it is in the book of Leviticus that we want to turn to the chapter that deals with the festivals, which is chapter 23, Leviticus chapter 23. Okay. And that's the Viagra, which is Leviticus. Okay. Now here in Leviticus chapter 23, we want to start with verse 33, and it says, and, you, and Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto Yahweh. On the first day shall be in holy convocation, ye shall do no servile work therein. Seven days shall offer, seven days shall ye offer offerings made by fire unto Yahweh on the eighth day, shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh. It is a solemn assembly, and ye shall do no servile work therein. These are the feasts of Yahweh, which ye shall proclaim to be a holy convocation, to offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh, a burnt offering, and a meal offering, a sacrifice, and drink offerings, everything upon his day. Beside the Sabbath, 
Yahweh, beside the Sabbath of Yahweh, and beside your gifts, and beside all your vows, and beside all your freewill offerings, which ye give unto Yahweh. Also in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye shall have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto Yahweh seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And ye shall take you on the first day bogs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and bogs of the thick trees, and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before Yahweh your Elohim seven days. And ye shall keep it a feast unto Yahweh seven days in the year. It shall be a statue forever in your generation. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Ye shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feasts of Yahweh. Now, what we want to look at in this discourse, which uh, we're going to start this evening, but we're going to finish it up on the close of the day uh, of the Feast of, of Tabernacles. So we, we're going to start it here, and then uh, we're not going to give the complete lecture. We'll finish it on the 29th, I believe. We start on the 22nd, which is the day, and on the 29th, which will be the eighth day, we'll close this particular lecture. But we did want to point out some significant things. So our title for this particular uh, discourse is The Feast of Tabernacle Timing or the Tabernacle Timing. And what we want to understand about the Feast of Tabernacle is how Elohim is both associated with it and how involved he is in it. And the first thing we notice about the feast is that Yah or Yahweh himself laid out the specific guidelines as to when it should be kept and how long it should be kept. Let us at this juxtaposition look at these two questions. We will start with the time period of which we refer to as the tabernacle times. So let us look at the tabernacle times. Now, if you have your scriptures, we want to turn back to Leviticus 23, and we want to look at verse 34, which says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be a feast of tabernacles for seven days unto Yahweh. So when we deal with the tabernacle time, here we are given specification as to the time period in which they were to observe this particular feast. And according to this text, it tells us in verse number 34, it was, on, it was to be on the 15th day of the seventh month. Okay, now, if you were to look outside, if, you, if it was clear, you should see almost a 
full moon, if, if it's not a full moon, because usually in, in the middle of the month, you have a full moon. And when you examine these festival days, they mostly came into the midst of the Hebrew uh, month, which was about 29 or 30 days. And so on the 15th was about the middle of the month. And that was when you had most of the light of the moon to be seen. So when we look at the specification of what time they should have the feast, it was about the time of the full moon. It was to start the 15th day of the seventh month and to extend to the 22nd of the same. So when they counted 15, they would count all the way to 22, and they would know when they would close the Feast of Tabernacle. It was to be an eight-day feast. So now that we are briefly looking at, at the uh, uh, time of the year it took place, let us now look at our second point, and we'll be dealing with what we call the tabernacle timetable. Let's look at the tabernacle timetable. Now, in the same 23rd chapter, we want to look at verse 41. Okay. Leviticus 23:41 says, And ye shall keep it a feast unto Yahweh seven days in the year. It shall be a statue forever in your generation. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Ye shall dwell in booths seven days, and all that and all that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths. So now, when we deal with the tabernacle time uh, uh, timetable, here in verse forty-one, it's bringing out some things that we want to kind of highlight. What we notice in this particular verse is that it speaks about keeping this feast on an annual basis. Now, notice we just covered the uh, the time, and the time was the fifteenth to the twenty uh, to the twenty twenty-second. Uh, Okay, and that's that's in the Hebrew calendar. On our calendar, it'd be the uh, 22nd to the 29th, but I'm talking about the Hebrew calendar. And so now this in verse 41 is giving us a new dimension on the timetable. We look at the time, but now we're looking at the timetable. Now, he says here that this feast should be done every year. In other words, it wasn't a type of feast that you celebrated one year and skipped a year, two years and came back. No, he said every year. He's making it plain. I want you to do this every year. Now, remember, these feasts are perpetual. And when something is perpetual, that means it's forever. And so they were never nailed to the cross. They were never done away with. He, he has always had them. It's just that the whole world of religion has looked overlooked them and put them away and changed them. But he has never changed these things. He said every year in the seventh month, the 15th throughout the 22nd, it was to be observed. Furthermore, this text of scripture points out that this feast was not just to be kept annually, but notice what it says. He says uh, here in, 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 uh, in this particular verse that in verse 41, he says, it shall be a, what? A statue forever in your generation. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. So now what, what we're looking at here, he said, not only are you to celebrate these seven or eight days 
in a year, every year. But he's, he, he makes it plain that it is a statue in your generations, and you should celebrate in, uh, it in the seventh month. Okay, now we want to deal with these generations because in verse 43, it, it talks more about the generations. He said in verse 43 of Leviticus 23, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booze when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Now notice this. We talked about the time period and... Uh, now we're dealing with the, uh, the timetable, and it's saying on the timetable, it is pointing out explicitly to us that this was a statue, and not only should it be observed by us every year, but he said every generation. In other words, he's saying all generations uh, may know of a testimony, what I did with Israel when I uh, brought them out of Egypt. So what he's saying here, I want you to celebrate it every year, but not only just every year, but every generation. So in other words, that which we celebrate every year is to be passed down to the next generation and the next generation passed down to the next generation, so forth and so on. So when we look at that, that feast, we want to recognize not only that we keep it annually, and yearly, but we also going to keep it every generation. So as we look at, as far as Yah was concerned, this feast was to be kept from generation to generation. And this would mean that it would be kept beyond this world. It is a part of the everlasting gospel. Now I want you to turn with me in the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we're going to look at uh, the 14th chapter, Revelation 14, and we're going to look at verse number 6. Revelation 14, 6 says this. He said, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Now, what I want you to notice in this particular 6th verse of the 14th chapter of Revelation he speaks about the everlasting gospel, okay? Everlasting gospel. Now, when we talk about the everlasting gospel, we are talking about something that's going to last forever. It's, it's not ever going away. So we must take into consideration that if the weekly Sabbath is something that is going to be eternal, then we have to understand that also these annual feasts are going to be something eternal, not only in this world, but in the world to come. Okay, now, we read the sixth verse of Revelation 14. Now, let's read the seventh verse, and I want to point out something in the seventh verse. Here the Bible says, after he's saying, all of this is a part of the everlasting gospel. Now, what is a part of the everlasting gospel? What do you mean, a part? What, what is in the everlasting gospel? Well, verse 7 tells us. He says, saying with a loud voice, fear Elohim, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Okay, now, any astute Bible student would know that when he says with a loud voice, fear Elohim and give glory to him, 
for the hour of his judgment to come. We know from the study of the scriptures, the only festival day that points to a judgment was the Day of Atonement, which we celebrated last week. And so what we're looking at, we have, a, uh, we have the Day of Atonement is one feast day. And then it says, worship him that made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And so when we, let's turn to Exodus. When we turn all the way back to Exodus chapter 20, okay, we're going to find out who made the, uh, have, uh, made the fountains of waters. So in Exodus chapter 20 is what we want. Okay, when we look at Exodus chapter 20, and we go down to uh, verse number 8, which talks about the fourth commandment. It says in verse 8, he said, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of Yahweh, thy Elohim. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. Now here it is, the same words that you find in Revelation we just read. For in six days... Yahweh made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is and rested on the Sabbath. Wherefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Now, we find that in the book of Revelation, a lot of times it doesn't bring out the whole scenario, but it just springs out a portion of it. But the astute Bible uh, student knows that when they bring out that portion of it, then we know what it's talking about. Because sometimes the Bible in Revelation will only give a symbol, but if you know what that symbol is talking about, then you know the essence of what it's trying to teach. So when it says here in verse 7, it says, worship him that made the heavens, the earth, and the fountains of waters, that goes to the fourth commandment. And when we read the fourth commandment, it tells us that Elohim, or Yahweh, he made the heavens and earth and the waters, even though it doesn't put it here, but when he says in this particular verse, fear Elohim and give glory to him, we know that that same Elohim that we are fearing is the one that made the fountains of waters and the sea and the earth. We know that. So you got two feast days there. You got the weekly Sabbath and you got tabernacles. Now, we must take into consideration that if the weekly Sabbath and the day of torment are a part of the everlasting gospel, then so is the Feast of Tabernacles. Because how can you set, separate tabernacles? It was one feast, but you had seven of them. So if they are a part of the uh, everlasting gospel, so must the Feast of Tabernacles be a part of the everlasting gospel. Okay? Okay, now, we're going to go through our, our, our third point now. And we're going to look at this third point, And that goes, we're going to go all the way back to uh, uh, Leviticus. We want to go back to Leviticus chapter 23, and we want to look at something else that I, I read, but we want to go into a little more depth on, on that. Okay, now we read in Leviticus chapter 23, we read verses 41 and 43, okay? All right, now we want to go back to 41, because that's something I want to uh, uh, accent there. Now here in verse 41 of the 23rd chapter, it says, and ye shall keep it a feast unto you, unto Yahweh, seven days. It shall be a statue forever in your generation. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Now, notice what it says, particularly. He said it is a statue, okay? Now, remember, he, don't, he doesn't do away with his statues. His statues are eternal, okay? So now, 
outside of the uh, the the, the uh, tabernacle timetable time and the tabernacle uh, times. The first point we dealt with was the tabernacle times, and then we dealt with our second point was the tabernacle timetable. Now, this third point that we want to emphasize, we titled that the tabernacle time frame, the tabernacle time frame. In a tabernacle time frame, we want to observe this passage as it could relate to various aspects of history, prophecy, and eschatology. Let us start with the historical aspect. Now, we're going to start the historical aspect this week, and next week we'll deal with the prophetical uh, information and the eschatological information next, next week when we close Tabernacles. But we want to look at Tabernacles from the historical standpoint this evening. So let us start with the historical. We will start with the historical and move to the rest. Moreover, we will refer to this aspect of our study as the historical feast of tabernacle, the historical feast of tabernacles. Now, when we speak in terms of the historical feast of tabernacles, we are going back into antiquity to verify Elohim's people keeping the feast of tabernacles. Now, as far as we know from the scriptures, ancient Israel began to keep this feast, when it was spoken of, to when it was spoken to Moses by Elohim on the mount, while he was in the mount, Elohim told him told him this. And you remember, Elohim would have told the people himself, but they said they didn't want to hear his voice. So after he spoke to Ten Commandments, they told Moses, "We don't want to hear his voice anymore." He said, "Whatever he got to say to us, tell it to you, and you tell it to us." So. He told it to Moses. Moses told it to them. And not only did he tell it to them, but he wrote it down for them. So you have two things. You have the oral tradition in which it was spoken, and you had a written tradition in which Moses wrote it in Hebrew, uh, which Elohim wrote it in Hebrew, uh, some of it, but he told Moses to write it on the scrolls. So that's what Moses did. So after they had come forth out of Egypt, however, there were many have been there. There were many who have been uh, had indications that they were keeping all of the feast days prior to coming out of Egypt. Okay, so there are some that says that he was keeping the feast. They were Israel was actually keeping all of the feast days before they came out of Egypt. Okay, so now if they were keeping the feast days before they came out of Egypt, and then they went into Egyptian bondage, and then when they got out of Egyptian bondage, then Elohim said, when he delivered them out of Egypt, that I want you to keep them again, okay? Now, the point that we want to look at is that if they went into bondage because some of these things that they were not keeping, then it would mean that when they came out of bondage, then they would start keeping the very things that got them into bondage. Okay, so let us let us consider uh, so, some texts in Leviticus 23. And we're going to look at these texts. Okay, now when we look at Leviticus 23, let's look at verse uh, 14 first. Now notice what it says in verse 14. All of this is dealing with the feast days, so we know it's attached to the feast days in some some way. In verse 14, it says, "Ye shall eat 
neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the selfsame day that ye brought an offering unto Yahweh. Now notice what it said. It said, it, it shall be a statue forever. Now that's where the everlasting gospel come in. It says forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. So in other words, it's saying that was a statue, okay? Now let us go to verse number uh, 18. Not, not verse 18, but verse number 14. Same chapter. Verse 14 says, let me see. Uh, did I read that? I, oh, no, not verse 14. I'm, I'm in verse 21. We read just read verse 14. Now notice what verse uh, 21 says. It said, and ye shall proclaim the selfsame day that it may be an holy convocation unto you. Ye shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statue forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. You see? To every generation, they should keep it. But he said it's a statue forever. Okay? And so if something is forever, that means it has no end. If something is forever, it has no beginning. In other words, these feast days was, was even before... Salvation came in. Okay. All right. We verse verse 21. Now we want to read verse 30, verse 31 of the same chapter. Ye shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Okay. Again, use the word statue throughout all your generation. And that's for the day of atonement. Now let us go to the uh, day, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's what it says. Verse 41 says, and ye shall keep it a feast, talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, unto Jehovah seven days. It shall be a statue forever in all your generations. Ye shall celebrate the seventh month. Okay, so we discuss that a, a statue makes more plainer the commandments that he gave. So one of the commandments he gave is remember the Sabbath day. So in order to remember the Sabbath day, you have to remember also the festival days because many of the festival days, especially when you get to atonement, they are to be kept like a Sabbath. They could not work or do anything on those days, just like the Sabbath day. So when we look at the Sabbath and all of the feast days, then when we keep the statues, we make this Sabbath more fuller. We understand it in a fuller sense. But if we limit ourselves just to the weekly Sabbath, we're not going to understand it to its fullest. So if they are statues, no doubt they were being kept prior to the time of Moses. Therefore, in the time of Abraham, let us find out what he did in the time of Abraham. Because if they say they're statues and he was telling them to keep it, he was just reiterating what he had already told them before they came into Egyptian bondage. So I want us to turn to Genesis and see if we can find uh, where they were being kept. Okay, now when we look at Genesis chapter 25, talking about Abraham, not 25, but 26, in Genesis chapter 26, we want to notice a statement that is made about Abraham or uh, Abraham. And notice what it says in G Genesis 25, I mean 26, verse 5. It says, because that Abraham obeyed my what? my voice, and he kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So here we have it. He said Abraham kept his statutes. 
Now, remember, all of the children of Israel, you know, they came basically from Jacob, and Jacob came from who? Jacob came from Isaac, and Isaac came from Abraham. So Abraham passed it down to Isaac, and Isaac passed it down to Jacob. So their father, so if, if Israel, which was Jacob, is keeping all of these things, then that would mean that Abraham passed it down to them. That makes sense. How did they get it? Abraham passed it down to them. Just like Elohim gave it again to uh, Moses, and when Moses got it, Moses, who wrote also the book of Genesis under revelation, under the spirit of Elohim, he is saying that Abraham kept it, and he stepped the statues. Now, we just read about the statues. They were forever. So if Abraham kept the statues, he was keeping those forever statues as well. Okay? Now, keep in mind also that in Genesis 14, now let's go to Genesis 14. Because uh, in Genesis 14, it, it, it's going to give us some uh, more insight into that. Okay, now here in Genesis chapter 14, we want to look at a couple of verses there. Now in Genesis uh, 14, we want to look, look at uh, verses 18 and 19. Now here's what it says. Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 and 19, it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High, El Elyon. And he blessed him, talking about Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High, El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth. Now, in this particular scenario, Abraham, after he had gotten Lot out of trouble, The Bible says he went to talk to Melchizedek. Okay, now Melchizedek was what we call a priest of the Most High, of which they call El Elyon, okay? So when he talked to El Elyon, and after he had gotten all of the spoil, the Bible says that he came to Melchizedek. Now, let us read in uh, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 4, okay? And we're going to find out why he came to Melchizedek, okay? Okay, in in Hebrews chapter 7, and we want to look at verse number 4, okay? Now, here's what it says in the fourth verse of the seventh chapter of Hebrews. Now, consider how great this man was, of whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of his spoils. He says that when he got the spoils back, he gave Melchizedek, a tenth part of it. It's like a lot of people said the tithe began with Jacob. No, it didn't. We can see that his grandfather, he paid tithe even before Jacob got on the scene of action. Moreover, we read in Hebrews 7, 5. Notice what Hebrews 7, 5 said. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithe of the people, according to the law that is of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. Okay, and then in verse 6, I'll just touch on that lightly. But he whose descent is not counted uh, from them received tithe of Abraham and blessed him that he 
blessed and blessed him that had the promises. So they were saying even before Levi came on the scene of action, that when Abraham tithe, paid tithe, he was paying tithe also for Levi, which became the uh, priestly tribe. So what are we trying to establish? We're trying to establish the fact that Abraham met Melchizedek, the high priest. He paid tithe to him. Okay. Now, when we look at uh, when we look at uh, verse five of Hebrews, it it is saying that Abraham, who had paid tithe to Melchizedek, was an individual who kept the statutes. Okay. Now, let's, let's reason together. If tithing was a statue uh, of, of, of which uh, Israel were to perform, so if tithing was a statue of which Abraham followed, then wouldn't it be logical to believe that both Abraham and Melchizedek knew about and kept the feast days because they were also statues? If these things that they were doing were statues, then it seems like they would have been keeping the other statues. Now, let's be logical. If Abraham knew about the priesthood and the tithing system, wouldn't he also, along with Melchizedek, in whom he paid tithes to, know about it as well? Now, if Melchizedek was a priest, and he was, and he was a priest of the Most High, wouldn't it be logical that not only did he know about the priesthood and the tithing system, but he also must have had a sanctuary of which he operated out of? Because if he was a priest, he must have had a sanctuary. Moreover, he also kept the festivals as well. In those days, they travel from one place to another place, and they lived in tents. So now, my my understanding is, is they Elohim praised Abraham because he said he kept my statutes, my laws, and my commandments. So as we close, what we are looking at is, no doubt, if he kept the statutes and the feast days was a part of him, and they had a sanctuary, you would not have a sanctuary if you didn't have the festival days because the festival days is what give life to the sanctuary. So in my conclusion, I would say that they were keeping these things even before they went out in Egypt. But when they got down in Egypt, they lost sight of these things. And when they went into captivity for so many hundreds of years, then when he brought about, they had forgotten about these statues. So Elohim reiterated them again. And as a result, he was expecting his people to continue to keep these statues. And this is what we are doing today is to continue in our generation to keep the laws and the statutes that he has given to us. Eternal Father, we thank you for another opportunity to be able to express and to understand the statutes of the festival days. And as we enter into the Feast of Booths, of Tabernacles, Sukkoth, or Kokos, that we'll be able to observe and to do this feast as you would have us to do it, that we can get the blessing that is stored within it. Now, bless us tonight, and then when we come back again to close it, that your spirit may be with us this entire week to do for us that which is needed. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. 
Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Well, that's our special podcast for the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. 